I think what was really important is just looking for individuals that have that fire and excitement for what we're doing, but also not being so rigid in what growth can look like in your business and really focusing on the team member to come to you with what lights them up and fuels them. Hello, welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and this is your destination for all things growth. Hello, welcome back to Active Ingredient. I hope that you are having a fabulous start to your week. And I am so excited to be bringing this guest back on the podcast for her round two, because she is someone who just genuinely inspires me. She's a kind human who is incredible at what she does, which is really just like the only type of people I want to have in my life, truly. And I am just so glad that she came back on the show a few years after having done her first episode, which if you want to get a better idea of her kind of backstory, her childhood, how she kind of landed in the field of influencer marketing, please go listen to her first episode. And you can also, if you do listen to it, you can also see for, I mean, I definitely see it, but you can probably hear it, just the progress of a human who has put in the work. And it's just so cool and refreshing to see. So the guest of the show this week is Julianne Frazier, who is just, like I said, a very kind, intentional, and incredible marketer. She is really leading the pack when it comes to influencer marketing. And you know, with every single thing as it pertains to brand building, I'm really attracted to the people that are really doing it with integrity, with thinking of long-term vision without trying to kind of just, you know, get a quick hit for a quick buck, but really actually thinking about the longevity of something and how it actually impacts, you know, the viewer, the creator, the brand, and all of these different things that come into play. But Julianne really has been kind of at the forefront of all things influencer marketing. She is the founder of the leading influencer marketing agency called Dialogue New York. She's crushing it. She works with so many brands that we all know and love. And a lot of them have actually been sponsors of this show, but she works with Seed, Saqqara, Brooklinen, Shiseido, Love Wellness, Gia. I feel like I'm missing a million of them, but she really works with just like so many of the best of the best. And it's just fascinating to see how the way that she prioritizes her inner journey, the external has continued to just grow and be even more impactful. And so I'm just really, really excited to get into all things. So in this episode, we get into identifying the limiting beliefs that are getting in our way and finding the tools to dismantle them, the power of working with a business coach, challenging ourselves to dream bigger. This is a big one for me. The importance of prioritizing time offline for creative work, all things networking. And of course, we get into the current state of influencer marketing, what is working, what is not working and how to do it intentionally. So with that, Julianne, thank you so much for being back on the show. Welcome back to the show. This is your second round on Active Ingredient. A lot's happened in two years. So I'm really excited to have you back in the studio. Thank you for being here. So excited. Okay. So for anyone who has not listened to Julianne's whole story, listen to episode one, Mm -hmm. which was back in 2021. So we're not going to get into that whole thing, but I do want to kick off this episode talking about your decision to work with a coach Mm. and you're, are you at your six year mark or coming up this fall? Okay. Yeah. So Julianne has had this incredible influencer marketing agency for six years, has the best of the best clients, like truly all clients that we know and love. And I use every single one of them pretty much. <laughs> Me too. Aside from like the mom ones. <laughs> yeah, you will. Maybe. <laughs> Hopefully one day they're they're in my back pocket. But she has this incredible roster. And it obviously like that takes time, dedication. It takes like a real strong vision. But I think it also takes a lot of dismantling beliefs that no longer serve you. Definitely. And I'm curious at what point you realized that that belief system was holding you back and how you came in contact with a coach and how it served. Yeah, I mean, I think when I look back, there were so many different stages of that realization. It wasn't like one moment where it all, but kind of the light shone on it. But I met Ben Easter, who I know you've worked with as well, incredible business coach. I met him probably three years ago now. 
And at the time, Dialogue was successful by all, you know, by all purposes. It, I had a great team. I had a great roster of clients. But I was feeling a little bored. That's where I entered into our relationship. And I was telling him that doesn't really make sense because, you know, everything looks great on the surface, but I'm looking for more. And so he helped me at that point identify all of the stories I was telling myself. And he calls them limiting beliefs. But whether it is the fact that I had to be on every single client call, that I had to be the one developing every single digital strategy, that I was the one that had to oversee every aspect of execution so that it could be flawless, so that we could maintain our reputation, so that we could continue to grow. These were the stories I was telling myself. And slowly with him, he started to dismantle that, that you know, there's amazing people out there that are incredible at client relationships that can help. There's great people that are amazing writers and strategists. And so instead of trying to find one particular person, he helped me kind of recognize that it was about growing and developing this team, each with their own strengths that they could bring to the table and really like building out our strategies collaboratively or building the client relationship collaboratively. So that was about three years ago, completely shifted and changed my life. I was living between New York and Paris at the time, and these limiting beliefs were forcing me to be working till two in the morning because I thought that, you know, this is what I had to do. And so slowly I started carving out, you know, a way of working and a team to support my endeavors. But then I think the second plateau that I came to, which was about a year ago when I had my daughter, Navy. And I was preparing for my maternity leave. And again, I had limiting beliefs. If I were to take a maternity leave, the whole company is going to crumble. I'll never be able to win clients on maternity. I won four clients when I was out on maternity leave. So all of these stories, again, working with Ben, it was like the same process. But it just goes to show that I think it's a continual work. And it's not something that, you know, just switches. Still to this day, I'm working through more and more limiting beliefs. So... So at the point that you decide to work with someone like that, like, did you look for coaches? I'm, I'm thinking of the listeners and I feel like a lot of people ask me questions about coaches or therapists or yeah. just people that can help with dismantling those beliefs. Mm -hmm. How did you decide to actually invest in it, that it was worth investing in? Did you have other people in your life that you saw the success before and after working with someone Definitely. to help dismantle? Walk us through the process for someone who's listening that could be like in that motion or maybe they feel bored or maybe they have like similar symptoms, I guess, that you're having. I think... What uh, first of all, I um, was introduced to Ben through Madison Utendall, a good friend of mine, another consultant. And I think what I realized is having a network of like-minded consultants, freelancers, entrepreneurs that we really support one another and we really are transparent and we share, you know, our resources and, and what works. So I would recommend, you know, people to her. She would recommend people to me. And I wasn't looking for a coach. I didn't think I needed a coach. I didn't know what a business coach was. And frankly, I didn't think my business was at a point where it warranted having a business coach that felt very, you know, Massive at a different level. Yeah. yeah. But I saw, you know, I heard from her just how impactful he was to her business. And so she made an introduction. We did a first sort of kickoff call and I saw within one hour of meeting him just how incredible he is. But I think everybody, I've since referred many entrepreneurs to him and, you know, I've heard amazing impact, one being you, <laughs> amazing impact yeah. he's had. But also it's such a personal relationship. It's, it is like a therapist. You really have to f build that trust with your business coach. You have to I, I always think of it, too, as a two-way street. I come prepared to our meetings. I have lists of topics I want to talk about. I'm constantly in my journal thinking through when I'm working through my my work during the week. What can I talk about with Ben this week? What can I bring up? What do I want to, you know, That's a learning that I wish that I was better at. In yeah. That. Like, sometimes I would just show up and, like, not exactly know what the intention was. Yeah. When you started, like, you did that questionnaire of the things that you wanted to shift in like the five-year vision. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what that was? And do you feel like you've kind of, I mean, you're three years in. hundred percent. I I thought it was so outlandish. I remember he challenged me to write this, like it was a one-pager kind of vision goal setting. And I'm very much into that. And I believe in like positive energy and affirmations and whatnot. But he really challenged me to put some crazy stuff on that wish list. And I was like, there's no way. And I've accomplished all of them. And I remember coming back to him and being like, Ben, I cannot believe it. We, I always say we. He's like, no, you did it. But like, I feel like we accomplished. And then I create a new list and a new list and keeps going. And I just said to him a couple of weeks ago, I feel like I'm at this stage where, again, I'm at a plateau where I think I've hit 
the maximum success I can. And I'm like, challenge me because I think there's more and I don't know what I don't know. So I think that's what is so great about him. But yeah, I do think it's a really personal relationship. I think you have to feel that human connection, that trust with a coach. Mm -hmm. And also you have to be ready to work. It's not the fact that you get a coach that all of a sudden magic is going to like come into your life. It's such a like commitment and you have to put in the time and work as well. A thousand percent. So when you're at those points, you said that it's happened like a few times, three times that you kind of like hit a level of success. What do you actually do to dig deep to understand what that next capacity is? Like, do you have a practice? Does it happen within like a month span? Like, how do you get to the next? Well, I think the first part is like identifying it, right? Because so often you can just be going through the movements and not even recognize you're at that plateau. So I'm constantly, I do like bullet journaling every Monday morning and I'm constantly kind of assessing what my successes were for the week, what my challenges were, what I'm looking forward to. And I'm constantly questioning that because I think it's very easy to get complacent and just, Mm -hmm. you know, satisfied if everything's working and you're successful. So I think once you identify it, but really, I think it's willing to get very uncomfortable because it's, it takes a lot of vulnerability to be honest and recognize your weaknesses and where you're holding your company back and I think that's something I've, I have a lot of trust with Ben where I will really be very transparent with him to say, you know, what, what can I be doing differently in terms of hiring and mentoring and my new business practices and being really willing to hear honest feedback. And I actually seem likewise going back to sort of the network of people mm-hmm. in your life that support you. I'm constantly asking them too. And I think through those moments of transparency and, and vulnerability, that I've gotten some really hard feedback that have just completely improved my business. I worked with one of my best friends and I asked her, what are your pros and cons of working with Dialogue? What do you think? And I was so nervous to hear that because I wanted her to say that you guys are perfect and it's phenomenal. But she gave me such incredible feedback that has completely improved our business. So I think it's that willingness. Do you mind sharing what, what the feedback was? Yeah. She was saying that we didn't cheerlead ourselves well enough. And so she's like, you guys do this amazing work, but you're not communicating. It's all in Excel files. It's all in these like data tracking documents. And the executives of our company, they can't see that. And then that's where the questions come. And so through that conversation, we started to develop what we call dialogues of the week. We send out these really beautiful emails to our clients that are really meant for the executives that aren't in the day mm-hmm. and day. And it showcased highlights of our influencer work, comments and feedback from the partners we're working with, looking forward, our goals. And it's done in a way that is really easy to digest. And just since we've implemented that, it's amazing how much more trust we've gotten from our clients because it's in their inbox every Friday. They know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that was like one example. What do you think that is though? Because like as you were talking, it's like making me think of the fear of being seen Mm. and like the the playing it small kind of to like keep yourself safe-ish. Like I'll keep the client if I'm like within this box. Mm -hmm. I feel like receiving that feedback, processing it. Did you do any internal work there on being okay with being seen at the level of like sending this beautiful email to clients? And just in general, I feel like you've done a really good job us working together for a long time of really stepping into allowing yourself to be seen. Yeah, I think that's a really great question because it's something I'm always treating my team on as well. The leaders on my team, I'm saying if you get that like gut feeling where something's going wrong or it's not working or we're behind on our targets don't try and cover it up. There's nothing worse because that will always, you know, come to the surface. Mm -hmm. And so it's such a powerful thing to do to be completely transparent and honest. And, you know, whether it's through these emails where we're saying we're sharing the good, bad and the ugly. So we're, we're not just, you know, we're sharing our successes, but we're also saying, hey, we've gotten some feedback about your product from influencers that I think would be valuable. You know, they've had reactions to this or they're not pleased with the packaging or whatever it might be. But I think being willing to to really be honest with our clients, I think that leads to our our commitment in our long-term relationships with clients. Because we'll say, hey, you know, we're behind on targets. This month is, isn't great. I think here are three reasons why. What's your point of view? Let's together come to the drawing board and shift it quickly mm-hmm. rather than waiting three, four months down the like road yeah 
it's obvious, you know, that yeah. they know we know and it severs the relationship. But that takes a certain type of client also to be yes. willing to do that, to not put it all on yes. the agency. So how do you vet for that? Yeah, such a good point because that's a very specific type of person. And I'm sure in six years you've had your fair share mm. of that not working. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I look for that sort of collaboration in our new business conversations because I think it's very telling how a client will come into vetting an agency. Obviously, you know, there's great agencies and not so great agencies out there. And I feel like a lot of founders have been burnt and have wasted money. And I get that. But also when I'm in a new business meeting and they're peppering me with questions and they're challenging every single thing I say. And there's like, and I'm kind of like, okay, I get it. Like definitely ask me the hard questions. I love it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there has to be a level of respect and trust in what we do. And I'm really transparent. I'll say, you can speak with our long-term clients. You can ask them what our relationship is like. You can ask them what it's like to work with Dialogue. But I think it's a really big red flag when there is that distrust in sort of a brand that's making you feel like you're you're just under an immense amount of stress before you've even started. We were talking about intuition before we started recording. And it's like, on one hand, like there's sometimes intuition that hits that's like so black and white that you're like, fabulous, amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going with my gut on this and like, peace out. And sometimes where it's so gray and that there's certain things that like are the pros are really, really strong, mm-hmm. but you still move, you move forward with it. And yeah. then ultimately at the end of the day, the gut always wins. Mm-hmm. What has your process been with really listening to that? Do you, can you pinpoint in the six years of doing it, like points where you really started to kind of harness that? Yeah, I think it's so funny. I actually think back on my dad taught me this when I was like a little girl. <laughs> and I think he called it like a red flag or so. Like he kind of taught me to recognize because you can feel it. It's a physical feeling in your body mm-hmm. where you kind of tense up, your stomach's tight. Contract. And it's so easy to let that go and be like, oh, no, never mind. You're overanalyzing it. But I think we all have that intuition and it's rarely wrong. I can think of a handful of times where no, I I can't even think of a situation that I regret not moving forward with when I had that intuition. Mm -hmm. So I think we all have it inside of us. It's not necessarily something you have to learn, but it's something you have to listen to and you can't ignore. And I ignored it many, many, many times. And so it was through that like process of not listening to it that I've, I've learned to really honor it. But I think, I think that it comes from, there's a difference between a tough, client, which I love. I love a client that will like challenge me and ask me all the questions. And as they should, I respect Mm -hmm. that because this is a big investment in their business. And influencer marketing can be something that's really ambiguous. There's a lot of different players, a lot of different approaches. So I think there's a really big difference between direct challenging questions than really questioning your motives or questioning your work ethic or questioning the the my team when when they're challenging yeah. my team I think I, it comes just, down to trust right yeah it's like ultimately the trust like I, and this is where I'm at right now of kind of just like I don't have nor do I want to the time energy or yeah. space to convince anyone of working 100%. with me yeah. I don't need to convince you right it's either like you trust yeah. or you don't trust mm-hmm. But that that takes a lot of time and a lot of, like you said, like going through going through it with clients and honestly, like them just like being shiny and then like kind of it biting you in the ass. Yeah. But I do find and I've said this on this podcast a million times and I don't know that we're ever going to know the answer to this because like you're saying, you love challenging clients. But what's the line? Mm-hmm. Right. Like what's the line between someone that's like really just like looking for a reason to not trust you yeah. or is like genuinely challenging you. And it, it it does go back to this feeling and it's a nuanced thing. Yeah. But, but that's I what think I constantly question. And what's in, as a client of New Nation, I can speak directly. Yeah. You guys are so phenomenal at what you do. And I think it's respect for your expertise, your method, your relationships. And same with dialogue. I mean, anyone that tries to like structure our way of working, I'm like that. But that's no, that's like, not like why you, came you can here. build that in house if you want to develop a new system. Like this is our totally proven system that works, and I think it's having that respect. But also, I think what you guys are really great at, and what we always goes back to cheerleading, is transparency. So, what are we doing? What's our process? Are we behind? Are we ahead? Like, what's been the feedback? Having that trans, I think clients just want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. How are we feeling about it? brutal honesty transparency I feel like really eases that that like 
anxiety of a client that can lead to these difficult. Are there any like top level questions that you always have like out the gate, like even maybe even before the potential client comes across you that you ask that could be helpful for someone that's potentially starting? Always. And I've learned this again over the years because I would take so many new business calls and within 30 seconds, I'm like, oh, this isn't the right fit. And it's not about the brand. Generally, it's about timing. So our method and the way that we work with influencers, we kind of have to have this like secret sauce of a brand uh, halo already built. Mm -hmm. And it requires a little bit of press, great, you know, brand aesthetic, few individuals, whether influencers, celebrities that love the product, testimonies that we can point to, and a strong aesthetic, a really great website and whatnot. If we don't have those four elements in place, then we reach out to influencers and the first thing they do is look at the brand's Instagram account or website or look to see if there's any press on it. And if it's not there, immediately we're getting massive fee requests for fees or we're begging them and asking them, can you you mm-hmm. know, do us a favor? And so that's our particular method, not to say that influence marketing shouldn't be started off the bat because there's a lot that can be done. Generally, I recommend in-house mm-hmm. building out that authentic community and relationships with a, a junior staff member on your team to really get the ball rolling, build up the momentum in your greater marketing strategy. And then when we come on board, we can just sort of like add fuel to the flame and turn up the dial. So I think, yeah, generally when I'm I'm speaking to brands before I even get on a call, I ask them about the stage of their business, what their general you know marketing strategy looks like, have they worked with influencers in the past? to get a feel for if we're the right fit. Because again, it's really not about us being too picky with the brands. They're going to waste their money on our retainer fees and our investment if they're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. And so, and then you have a unhappy client and we're our team struggling to hit success. So I've, that's something I've totally. learned over the years. It's like so much better to be honest rather than just take the client for the sake of taking it and it not going as planned. So I want to talk about influencer marketing as a whole. Mm -hmm. It's changed so much. We've been working together for like two and some years. And even within these years, massive, massive shifts. Can you, just for anyone listening who's maybe a founder or maybe is thinking about starting a business, talk about influencer marketing, what it means today. Mm -hmm. Who are influencers? Yeah, Yeah, I feel like... (laughs) We've always, from the get-go, I've been in this world for about a decade, which is nuts. Started my career as like a social media coordinator right around the time Instagram launched. So the definition of influence to me has never been singular. It Influence has always been around. And what we start our strategies with is is really defining the different archetypes of influencers because you have traditional digital content creators whose, you know, full-time job is managing their social channels, creating content, they're experts at building community online. Mm-hmm. Then you have tastemakers who might be founders or entrepreneurs or activists, athletes, and they've amassed a social following as a result of their passion, but their full-time, you know, focus isn't on social media. And then you have experts. So, you know, nutritionists, doctors, stylists, makeup artists, these are really incredible experts at their work that, again, they've amassed a following, but their focus is on something else full time. So really identifying the type of influencers that make most sense for your brand and the right approach for each one. Because if you approach those three archetypes the same way, it's not going to work. So I think the first thing to really identify is and then within that, there's so many subcategories of micro, macro, mid-tier. Mm-hmm. There's different categories. There's mom influencers. There's culinary influencers. There's lifestyle fitness. So I think that's the first stage of our strategy of like defining influence and what are the right targets for our particular clients mm-hmm. and then thinking of the right approach for it. So to answer your question, influence is so immense. And I think more than ever now, we look at offline influence and how much someone who might have a, a small following has such impact in their community. And that too is influence marketing. I just got goosebumps because I actually feel like it's like the most the, impactful. Totally. I think I really think so. I think yeah. it's so authentic. Like when you think about it, if you're going to buy a product, generally it's within your closest like five friends mm-hmm. that you're taking advice from. And so we identify those people that maybe they have 5,000 followers, but they are so impactful in their communities. They are, you know, it's so funny. I think of my husband as like the ultimate influencer. He doesn't even have Instagram, but every single thing he recommends to our group of friends, whether it be for health or for decor, for fashion, like people are like, just take his word for it. And so that's influence as well. So important to think of it, you know, holistically. How do you identify those people? 
Because I feel like it's like, I, I think for the listener too, we all see influencer as like Alex Earl. Yeah. Or like Chiara Fergani. Like yeah. those names are what we see for the ones that we're talking about that are like the community ones, the people that like are actually like the bottom of the funnel, the mm-hmm. ones that really convert. How do you find them? Such a good question. And I, I, I think we've been doing this for so long that we we have identified, we have a database of, of these sort of nano offline yeah. influencers. But honestly, I think what's interesting is we generally work with founders that have impact within their communities. So we just brought on a, a new like science-backed hair care brand and the founder is a dermatologist and has impact and connections within that space. And so we'll kind of start there and say like, who influences you and who's within your circle or whether it be, you know, thinking of someone like Danielle and Whitney of Sakar Life, they have their networks of doctors, nutritionists, fitness instructors that they love and respect. And so really plugging into our founders, that's a question we ask within our like kickoff questions. Such a good Who call. impacts you? And that can usually lead to kind of like identifying more like-minded, similar. And also we have this strategy that we we define as influence referral strategies. So if we have a great chef that is using our place, for example, they have other friends within their industry who are chefs. And so having them gift and refer the product to their small group is another great way to kind of like expand the circles. I think there's sort of this misconception that like influencer marketing can be this like very like fairy dust kind of like gift and hope and like fingers crossed it works. We are insanely strategic about it. So in our upfront, when we work with a new client, we develop this like influencer relationship roadmap and we're identifying, okay, month one, we give them the product, we establish the relationship before paying any sort of campaign. Do you like the product? Have you tried seed probiotics? Do you know the benefits? Do my, you like my listeners it? know. Yes, I do. Yes, I know you do. See, you're <laughs> offline. Yes, influence. I do. Case in point, how many people have you impacted, yeah. right? Perfect example of it. But I mean, you have influence through your podcast. And that's another thing too. Like it's not just social channels. There's so many different mediums mm-hmm. for influence. But so I think, you know, we're thinking, okay, month one, gift, seed, make sure they like the product, get mm-hmm. their feedback. Then month three, do we invite them to an event where they can meet the founder? Do we... You know, is there some sort of collaborative gifting with a partner? Like, how can we bring them along this roadmap in order to establish them as these ambassadors of the brand? And usually about like the third or fourth touch point will be influence referral mm-hmm. strategies. And so we have to know they love the product. We have to have built a little bit That's of so rapport. Smart. And then we'll identify, okay, this small group, and not every single one of the thousands of influencers we're working with fall along this road. We'll identify an influencer versus an evangelist. And we'll kind of like identify. What's, that? What's the difference? Well, an influencer, we will, they, they, they post, they create great content. They like the product. Great. Let's re-engage them continuously. But an evangelist goes above and beyond. They'll write our team and say, like, I'm absolutely obsessed with this product. How can I get more involved? I'd love to meet the founder, you know, really showing that initiative. And I think for influencers listening, that's such a great tactic. Mm-hmm. If you love a product, like build that relationship with the, with the brand but we'll kind of, we'll tag and identify our different partners as, okay, this is an influencer that will continuously engage, whether through a gifted or paid capacity, but an evangelist is maybe 10, 15% of the influencers we're engaging. And they're the ones that we want to build into this like really tight community around mm-hmm. the brand. And so we'll identify who they are and then we'll build a separate relationship roadmap for them, you know along the way so do you say when you start working with a client are you like you can this is Megan on the podcast it. by the way like we need to get contact <laughs> Megan on the pod I love First it time. love it <laughs> do you say like you can expect to see results like in a year or like in six months like I feel like from what Sophie and I do like we usually say like three months is when you can expect to see yeah. like all of this momentum and all of these building blocks like starting to pay off like right do you come to like a new business meeting and are like, you can expect to see something in six months? Or like, how do you level set those expectations? Totally. And I think it, it is, question. it's a great question. And I think something that like, as much as we know our craft, I also am very empathetic of founders. Like there has to be some sort of, you know, 
roadmap or expectations for them. And so generally, similarly, we'll say around the three month mark, we'll start to feel the momentum. So we'll outline, okay, we get into the strategy phase in the first couple of weeks, we start outreach, we're getting the product out the door, we're starting to build these relationships. Now the influence, the first set of influencers that we work with have the product, the posts are starting to come go live. And we're really constantly monitoring it. Are you happy with the UGC we're getting? What's the feedback from the influencers? Are we going after the right archetype? Should we shift entirely? Like, would mom influencers be more relevant? And will this resonate? Or lifestyle and fitness or travel or whatever it might be. So the first three months is a lot of testing and learning. And that comes down to trust again. And how do they define it, though? Like, how do they, like, ahead of time, are you defining success by, like, number of eyeballs, by number of clicks, by, like, how how do you have benchmarks? So I, I really believe in this like holistic way of measuring success with influencer marketing because yes we have promo codes we have affiliate links we have udm google analytics track links there are techniques but that just thinking logically it's so funny when when a client will come in and and really only look at the performance side of success i'm thinking forget marketing for two seconds think of yourself as a consumer if you come across you know seed probiotics are you going to sticker tap right then and there, enter your credit card, sign up for a subscription, use the promo code on that particular link with that particular code and check out? The chances of that are slim. Right. And so if we're only measuring the success of our programs off of the one likelihood of someone using codes and links, I mean, it's just so narrow-minded. Totally. And we know, like, you might hear about Seed on a podcast, you might see a out-of-home advertisement, you might get an email forwarded to you, and then you see an influencer talking about it. That fourth touch point, you'll convert. So what we do is, yes, we use the codes, we use the links, we do as much as we can to track it. But I'm working with the performance teams on our clients to say, have you seen a spike in your web traffic this month when we initiated this big campaign? Do you see any like changes in conversions around particular products? Are you seeing enhancements in your Instagram ads because of all the organic social content that we're putting out there? Are you seeing improvements in your SEO or your Google Analytics spend because the brand awareness is increasing? And so generally, if we look at it holistically, we can start to connect the dots and the clients will say, oh, wow, yes, we're seeing, you know, the improvement across the board rather than just yeah. looking at it. From and it's one like code. you would say it's important to look at it in like three month increments or monthly or how, how would yeah, you Yeah, I think the first three months, there has to be that expectation. We're just yeah. getting started. Like, yeah. You're not going to see, there's no way, like the product's not even in the hands of the influencers at month one. So that first three months, test and learn. And then we're always assessing and doing monthly reports and quarterly. We do a lot of reporting because I think it's good for us too to see rather than like, it's the same thing, rather than go down the line six months in and say, oh shit, that totally didn't work. We are constantly looking month to month and say, okay, this is working. That's not working. Shift, change, adapt. And you need a client willing to be transparent with the metrics for you but also willing to like go along with you and adapt so I want to get into your philosophy on taking time offline and really encouraging your team to do the same you're literally an influencer marketing agency Mm -hmm. you guys are experts in all things social how has prioritizing life offline changed or impacted your life and then how has that also impacted your team's life yeah I think it kind of came about well, so I moved to New York when I was 21. So I definitely like, I feel like the city made me who I am. And it it definitely taught me the hustle and grind mentality. The first seven years of my career, very much like trying to show face by staying at the office till nine o'clock and, you know, wanting to be that hustle hustler in New York. But I think actually when my husband and I decided to live between New York and Paris, probably about five years ago, being in France really opened my eyes to a different lifestyle. The French just have this, it's so cheesy to say joie de vie, but they just have this like beautiful balance and appreciation for food and family and relaxation and taking care of yourself and reading. Like the amount of books in apartments in Paris that just doesn't exist here. There's just so much of a like boundary and protection around their life that that really opened up my eyes. So I think it probably started there where I started to invest a little bit more in the things that fueled me outside of work. And one being cooking, it's a huge passion of mine. And about three or four years ago, I did a three-week intensive cooking course in Paris. 
while I was working. So I was going to the, the school from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then I was getting online at 3 and working in the afternoon. And I think that was a big eye-opener to me that doing something that fueled my passion and like just Your made soul. my heart sing, my soul. I was a better boss. I was a better consultant. I had more knowledge I could bring to our culinary brands and clients. And it also set the the tone for my team to like pursue their passions as well. And so I think that was a big kind of shift where I was thinking it's not about people. It's not about us working and hustling and grinding. It's about us producing the best quality work and also having a life outside of dialogue that really we're proud of and fuels us. So, you know, I've challenged my team. We we had a lunch where I asked everyone to come to the table with a passion or a goal of theirs that they wanted to focus on outside of work. And, you know, one team member is an actress and she wanted to get more into acting. And another is a photographer and really, really loves that. And another wanted to like learn French and, and take on more linguistics and and to really like challenge herself. And so it was really cool to, A, we felt so much more connected when we got to know each other outside of work, but also giving them that space to pursue their passions. I think it's just been really eye-opening where giving that space and offline sort of creativity for the team has just made us tenfold more impactful online. Creatives need space. Yeah. Like I want to make a billboard somewhere. Yeah. And I want to challenge you on something. So you said it earlier, like dialogue, like I feel like what sets you guys apart is that you know influencers so well and you're able to come to the table with like, hey, I know you're going on this trip in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is a great partnership. How do you balance like being so in it that you know influencers yeah. that well? Like that requires a lot of time on social media right. and a lot of attention to detail. Like, how do you balance that and taking time off of social media? Yeah, I think we probably, great question. We probably index more, well, my team in general, when I'm hiring individuals, just by nature, all of them are so plugged into social. They are inspired by influencers. And what's really cool is that when you actually break it down, one of them is obsessed with podcasts, like listens to multiple podcasts a day. The other one is so plugged in to TikTok. Another one is absolutely always on YouTube. And so what are like realms of influence and the people that influence us are so different. And so I think certainly it's not about saying, you know, don't touch your phone, not be on social. That's a massive part of our role. And I see that. And I think we're That was never an issue. My team has such expert knowledge in all the trends and all the, you know, emerging apps and whatnot. I think where I felt I needed to assert that balance was the other way where I was saying, hey, thinking of them on their phones, you know, all night or on weekends and really like, I think it started with us having a physical book club where I was like, you know, rather than always being connected to your phone, maybe we can find inspiration to be reading a physical book. And so that started. And then I saw their inspiration from that. And so I was challenging them again. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're starting this new initiative where we'll have creative mornings. So once a month, the team will have the whole morning off to do something offline that inspires them, go to a new museum exhibit or read the New York times from start to finish or try a new cooking recipe or go to like a morning matinee and watch like a great film, something like that. And so I think you're right, Megan. It's not, it can never be all one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I think certainly being plugged in and on social is a massive part of our role. And that's there within my team. I think it's a matter of us just finding that balance and pulling back a little bit where encouraging them, it's okay to be offline. Like it's okay to spend a morning of work morning going out and looking for inspiration because what we, what I find is if we're only sourcing our inspiration from social media, it's an echo chamber. Can you share with the listeners what Rob challenged you to do with Navy's Nursery? Oh, yeah. yeah. This, this actually does play into the offline. Totally. Yeah. So my husband's a, a really big influence in my life and he's a creative. He's always been in creative fields and creative careers. And he just has this like he pulls inspiration. I don't know if it's being French or so that's more innate in him, but he challenged me. I was designing my daughter's nursery and I instantly went to Pinterest and I started pinning some great, you know, nurseries that were very homogenous. All of them kind of looked the same. They were beautiful. And I was showing him the board and he was like, no, I challenge you 
to design, like wipe the slate clean and design this without any social inspiration. So what I did was I started, I have a subscription to French AD. So I started flipping through my French Arc Digest and I was starting to like, we would explore some shops in Williamsburg on the weekend. I was seeing color combinations. So that led me to do this like really dusty rose pink with a bright, vibrant cherry red, which I never would have thought of putting together. Or we came across, you know, Gitano Pesce, this amazing designer that, again, I don't see him anywhere really on Pinterest. And I, we found him in a shop in, in Chinatown. And so as I was starting to kind of formulate this design, it was so interesting and and really inspiring to we watched a French film and so we found like a movie poster that from this film because we were so inspired from it. So the whole nursery is completely designed off of our offline influence. And I think it was so eye-opening to me that it's important for all of us to do that. You know, still check in and pull a little bit of inspiration here and there when Mm -hmm. needed, but kind of like start your inspiration journey offline and you don't know what you'll think of. You know, I love that so much. I'm curious how you have identified your secret sauce, like your own thing that you're bringing to the table because you have scaled, you've grown your agency, you have incredible clients that does take delegating or enrolling, as Ben would say, mm. people into doing things that they're great at. Yep. How have you identified what that thing is for you? And how have you then started to hire around you to fill the gaps so that you can be in your zone? Yeah. So I think, again, it's intuition. There's things that Ben will stop me every time I say, I have to. I have to handle the strategic way. I have to handle the accounting. I have to handle the finance. I have to handle the new business. I have to, have to, because you think that it's all on you as a, a founder. So I think, first of all, every time you say have to, just like stop yourself and think, do I want to be doing this? Like, does this really inspire me? And what we figured out together, Ben and I, was what really fuels me is I still love the new business aspect. I love selling and pitching and enlisting brands into our philosophy. I am so passionate about mentoring and training and teaching my team. And I'm really passionate about the innovation around dialogue. Where are we going next? How are we going to like shift and change and continue to stay relevant? So those were the three areas that I go to my office and I am so excited to like open my laptop and focus on. And the areas that were draining me accounting, finance, whatnot, I started to either look for team members that could, you know, take this on or outside consultants little by little. But then second of all, in hiring teams, I was at the beginning of starting Dialogue, building my team as you I thought a traditional agency should look like. And what I worked with Ben on is identifying individual zone of genius. So I have one team member Uh, who's a marketing manager who's exceptional at negotiating contracts and executing on campaigns. And that fuels her. You can see she loves it. And another one, similar, you know, level, but she's a system expert. And she's so amazing at streamlining and making our work more efficient. And then another at a director level who just absolutely loves being connected with our clients and building those relationships. So Rather than saying to this manager, the only way you can grow is to take that exact same role as the director, I'm starting to craft individual growth maps for each team member. And not only finding their zone of genius, what lights them up, what makes them most excited, but also what will really like support and help our company flourish. So I think what was really important is just looking for individuals that have that fire and excitement for what we're doing. I think I've made many mistakes of hiring people that didn't believe in our mission and our work. And that was the first mistake, but also not being so rigid in what growth can look like in your business and really focusing on the team member to come to you with what lights them up and fuels them. I will say hiring is the hardest part. Yeah. Was there like a hire in the beginning that you were like that kind of open the door for me also like Sophie and I say emotionally intelligent yeah is the number one quality we look for it's like number one for sure how do you find those people yeah so that is to me the number one most important part in a hire is the the human connection their motivation their personality the way that they approach collaboration because the rest can be trained and taught Mm -hmm. you can teach someone how to negotiate or execute a campaign or develop a strategy all of that can be taught but first and foremost, we look for that like 
synergy between all of our team members. But I would say that, I mean, to start, I think my first hire was an amazing family friend. So grateful for her. I think it was about eight months into me starting. So I was doing everything on my own for the first bit. And she was, we were kind of like tag teaming and, and doing everything together. But I think what I realized is I was telling myself this story, like it doesn't make sense to go to a team member and say, what do you like about your role? What do you dislike? And like, what are you most efficient for? Because to me, the story I was telling myself is like, there's there's things you love about your job and there's things you dislike. And you can't just eliminate all of the things you dislike in a role. Because still to this day, I'm doing accounting and I dislike accounting. But yes, okay, sure, there are pros and cons to every role. But I think once you identify from someone, and you say EQ, I think in our role, so we have team members who do not want to necessarily have to run a meeting or go out and meet an influencer or have that connection, but they are so happy and content to organize a database, handle thousands of email correspondence. They are logistically absolute pros. That's what fuels them. That's a huge component of our work. And so being open to how like, and Ben will always say, okay, this person's getting slowed down uh, because you have them handling too much of the logistics. Is there someone over here that loves the logistics that you could swap the role? So we're constantly kind of like pulling in and maneuvering different roles. So I think it's a lot of like testing and trying and like learning. And that's a huge commitment as a founder to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, as much as I can get out of the day-to-day work, I'm spending so many hours like supporting and, and mentoring my team. So it goes kind of twofold, but I think it's having a little bit of patience. But like you said, Megan, first and foremost, you have to have the brand alignment and the commitment and the trust. Yeah. So I want to close out with something. And I, you've talked a lot about stories and stories that didn't serve you and stories that you and Ben have dismantled together. Mm-hmm. What is something that you feel top of mind is like the story that you really had to unlearn? And maybe you're still unlearning. Mm. I think the number one was I had to do it all myself. And I thought when I started Dialogue, Dialogue is me and I am Dialogue. I thought we were like one and the same that when you hire Dialogue, you get Julianne and I am the core of this business. And the minute I started to recognize that if I didn't do a 50-page strategy deck from start to finish, if I enlisted five team members to contribute their ideas or their writing abilities, the level and the quality of our strategies are so far beyond what I used to do on my own. It is, it was the most humbling recognition where I was like, oh my God, like collectively, we are so much stronger in developing this strategy. Being able to enlist everyone and to bring their strengths, I think was the biggest eye opener. And it's very scary as a consultant or a founder to kind of loosen the reins. I think a big challenge for me is when I had my daughter, I thought, okay, well, I have to have some sort of maternity leave. And I didn't think it was at all possible. And being forced to be completely offline, it was only five weeks, which I would not recommend to anyone. That's pretty short. But even five weeks, we planned for this maternity for like four months leading up to it. My The leaders on my team, we went through every possible scenario, everything that could go wrong, all the different challenges. But I think going through that process Coming back after my maternity, I had really trusted and delegated so much to my team members and it was flourishing. We were winning clients, the client, we were retaining clients. And it was a big eye opener to me of saying, okay, I I can't do this all on my own and I shouldn't. Trust that you can find people that are better than you at it. And the magic of enlisting them to do what fuels them is just, yeah, game changing. On a soul level, what is something that you know with every ounce of your being to be true that you wish everyone on earth really knew? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. I just think truly that life is so cheesy. Life is short. And we have the choice to craft a life that we love, that inspires us that challenges us that we learn from. And I meet so many people that are stuck in a role because of a salary or are stuck in a role because they feel they've pigeonholed themselves in one particular avenue or they 
feel like, you know, they if they were to take an, a morning to find creative inspiration, that wouldn't be professional or that their whole business will fall apart or their career or whatever. And I just think if people could really focus on what fuels them as individuals and where they find inspiration outside of their work, they will be tenfold more productive and effective in their work. And I think it's a really scary thing to do, but I truly believe that the people that inspire me and the way that I've crafted my life is very much dedicated and committed to my business, but very much dedicated and committed to my own personal pursuits, my family, my daughter. And it's that well-roundedness that makes me a better entrepreneur and business owner. And if people can just kind of challenge that in themselves and try and strike that balance, they'll just be so much more satisfied with life, I feel. Amen. I love it. Where can people find dialogue? Are you currently taking on clients and what's going on? Like, is there anything upcoming? Yeah, yeah, we are onboarding a handful of new clients. It's been a busy spring. So we have a bit of a wait list, but always excited to chat with different founders and startup or or companies that are looking to kind of revamp their their digital strategy. So we can be found dialoguenyc.com or dialoguenyc on Instagram. And also I'm Julianne Fraser on Instagram. I always love when people reach out and I'm happy to connect, you know, with a really inspiring follow. I highly recommend. Oh, thank you. Meg, any you. any parting wisdom? <laughs> this was my hard launch. <laughs> I Wait, I have an ending question. Who are your favorite influencers to follow right now? Oh. Ooh. Meg with the good questions. I feel like my inspiration comes from so many different avenues. I really love the honesty and transparency of Pia Berencini. I think she is so real and she's doing so many great things. And talk about someone that is really balancing out all of their different passions in life as a mother and a startup founder and, you know, just a creative in general. And I think from like a fashion perspective, Sasha Burns, she's an Australian influencer that recently moved to Paris, that she really inspires me. And I love listening to your podcast. So you inspire me, my friend. (laughs) You influence me. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. You're invited literally whenever we can have this conversation until we're blue in the face. Thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.